0: filled both sides. Good evening. Good evening. I can't remember the last time I spoke on a Sunday evening. It's a while. So. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer for a moment. Our Father, we thank you this evening that we can come together. Thank you for these ancient words that we will read tonight. Thank you that they are just as true in 2017, as they were in the day that they were penned. We thank you, Father, for your word that changes lives, that impacts our lives, that guides our path. May you open our eyes this evening, Lord, that we may glean from your word words of truth that will help us in our walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As has been mentioned, we're going to begin this evening a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look back on our records, and we did do a series in the book of Ecclesiastes at one point in time. It was a long, long time ago. And I'll tell you how I know it was a long, long time ago. We had just finished the series on Ecclesiastes on a Sunday night, and a gentleman came up and said, wow, that was really, really good. I really needed to hear that. I really needed to, that, that whole series, that really spoke to me, it meant a lot. And before the next Lord's Day, he was in heaven. That was Bob Mancini. So that's how long ago when we spoke on Ecclesiastes, so uh, it's, it's quite a while. Um, it's a strange book, but a wonderful book. Um, we're going to look at the introduction. I'm going to just do the first three verses. My challenge will be not to go deeper into chapter one and steal from Nick what he plans to do a couple of weeks from now, so um, I, I will be very careful. I have, I have boundaries set around one to three. Let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and we're gonna read, uh, I'm gonna read the first 11 verses. And I'm gonna read it uh, for you in the uh, New International Version, just because I like the way Ecclesiastes reads in the NIV. Just, uh, it's, it's got an interesting way of reading it, of saying it. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place uh, the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has, uh, never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has uh, been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here. Uh, It it was here already, long ago. It was before our time. No one remembers the former generations. Even those who come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble here because I always, when I use a PowerPoint thing, (laughs) I put numbers in my notes right next to it so I know to change the slides. And guess what I didn't do? I didn't do that at all. So I'm going to try to open up on my tablet here. PowerPoint. And then I can see what I have on the wall behind me. Maybe. I'm going by faith. Anyway, the title of the message is Living by the Tick of the Clock. Now, that's a, that's a strange title. Uh, but I thought it, was a, thought it was a good one. I thought uh, I, I, I came across that in... Um, in one of the commentators that I looked at, oh, oh, ask and receive, <laughs> seek and find, and I didn't even have to knock, <laughs> but it's there. Okay, thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, living by the tick of the clock, I, I, I came across that in one of the commentators, and I thought, well, wow, that's a that's a good way to put it. Living by the tick of the clock, tick, 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 and you as you read through uh, Ecclesiastes, it sounds like that now. When I read words like vanity of vanities, I'm reading the New American Standard, it says the preacher, son of David King in all Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does a man have in his work which he does under the sun? You read that and think, wow, I'm pumped. I can't wait 13 weeks of this. This is really (laughs) gonna be great, awesome. I found it interesting in preparing for this message, though, this week, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about life under the sun, as we'll talk about that a little later on. And I mentioned, I think, probably last week, that when I open up the Internet Explorer, or I open up whatever that other one by Microsoft is, Edge, yeah, it goes to um, Google News. I don't know why I do that, but I do. And the big news that day was, and I'm thinking about this message and so on, Hugh Hefner dies at 91. And I thought, wow, talk about vanity of vanities. Talk about a wasted life. Talk about a person who has just passed into eternity and has spent it all on himself. And it's all been for himself. He can say, or people can say it was for other people or it was for other things, and liberating women and so on and so on. It was all for himself, I don't care what you say. He spent it all on himself. Now there's similarities between Solomon, the writer of this, and uh, um, Hugh Hefner. Um, when when we look at the life of Solomon. Uh, Now, he was not the man who more or less invented readily available pornography, but he lived a life in which he poured his energies into himself, into pleasing himself, into living for himself. I only read one article of all the articles that fed into the news feed on Hugh Hefner. This person praises Hefner. This person gives accolades to Hefner. These women think Hefner was the greatest. This person thinks Hefner was the greatest. And this other person says, Hefner tried to sue me because I called him a pimp. And I said, I think I'll read that one. And I did read that one. And and, and he, this writer, she called it out for exactly what he is and what he was. He did I'm getting a radio or something. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just I can hear a radio in my ear. So it's the little tablet here, whatever it is. Um, so anyway, um, th- there are similarities between the two, but there's a huge difference. And the huge difference is that Solomon knew the Lord God. So I don't want to point, paint Solomon as the Hugh Hefner of his day. I'm just saying the similarities in that he was self-indulgent and he lived for himself. He lived to please himself. So first I want to look at the authorship of the book and the title. It so only works if you're up on the platform. There we go. Or you, Is life worth living? This is, the, this is the verse, and I just put that up there. I thought it was a, you know, this is kind of the, the way life seems to go for people, isn't it? You get up in the morning, you get off to work, you do your work, you come home, and then you go to bed and you dream about work, and then you go to work and you dream, about I can't wait to get home and go to bed and it's just a cycle, and cycle, and cycle of life, and then that other cycle is work, go home, try to rest, pay bills, work, and it keeps going around in a circle, and that, that seems to be the way people look at life. That seems to be the way the cycle of life can go for some people, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, In this, what advantage does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Like, what is the advantage to doing all of this work? Why do we do all this and just keep going through the cycle of life? And you're going to see this theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll talk about that a little later. The title of the book, oh, oh, yeah, down there. The title of the book is actually Koheleth, it means one who convenes or speaks at an assembly or an ecclesiastic, or a preacher. What's interesting is from that, we get our word for church. It comes out of this root word from Koheleth, which is a Hebrew word that, that Michelle, I, I really do need him wow. to turn that down. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's in my ear and it's, it's distracting. Yeah. Um, Somebody who convenes or speaks at an assembly. There is a a verse in 1 Kings, uh, and why did, oh yeah, in 1 Kings chapter eight of a gathering together and Solomon was the one that convened it and there's a root of that word, Koheleth, is found in that, in that, um, uh, that, that passage. Now the author of the book, the book doesn't specify who the author is. It just says the preacher or, but it does say the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now at the time it was written, there weren't too many sons of David who were kings in Jerusalem. So i pretty sure it's Solomon. Uh, there are people who have debated this and so on. I, I really like what uh, I read or what I heard. Uh, I listened to a message that Nick gave me. Dr. Doherty from MBBI says, there's a lot who claim that it was not written by Solomon, but it was written by Solomon. The book claims that. There's no need to argue or debate it at all. So I kind of liked his way of looking at it. The book says it was Solomon. It's Solomon, let's move on to something else. Um, It seems pretty clear it is. Now Solomon, as we know, was the son of uh, King David and Bathsheba, and just to review what the account was, David had at least six or seven wives, and then that wasn't enough, so he went walking on the rooftop one night and he saw this lady bathing in the other rooftop, and decided, I want her. He committed adultery with her, her husband came back from war, and he thought, okay, I'm cooked. Then she says, guess what, I'm having a baby, and he says, okay, how do I get out of this fix? So he takes her husband, sends him to the front lines of the battle to be killed, so he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, and then he lied to cover it all up. The baby is born, the baby dies, and then their next son that was born was Solomon, and Solomon was the one that God chose to be the, king's, the king to follow David. Um, when David was nearing the end of his life, He gave Solomon this charge, and if you want to read it, you can turn to it in 1 Kings chapter uh, two, and I don't know if I, I keep doing that. Oh yeah, here we go. Now the days of uh, David uh, uh, drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and commands, commandments, his judgments and all his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me. If your sons take heed uh, to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all of their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then in First Chronicles, we read a little different... Part of this uh, in first chronicles chapter twenty eight verse nine it says, "As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your Father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found for you found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. It also seems that David and Bathsheba sought to teach and emphasize the truth and wisdom of, of God in Solomon's life. In Proverbs chapter four, verses three to seven, Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, says, when I was, on my, fa- when I was my father's son, tender, and the only one uh, in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her, she will preserve you, Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. So, there was great influence from Solomon and uh, from uh, David and Bathsheba, I believe, to steer Solomon in the direction of following the Lord. Now, when Solomon came before the, the Lord, he said at one point in time in 1 Kings, uh, yeah, First Kings chapter 3, verse 9. He says to the Lord, therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your, peop- uh, your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge these great people of yours? So Solomon wanted wisdom from God and God granted him wisdom more than any other man. He started out with such promise, such gift. He towered over all other men in, guilt, in, uh, in, in wisdom and in, in wealth. He had such gift, but like many great gifted men, And we see it today, and it's no different than it was back then. They waste it all on themselves. Great gift, great wealth, and he wasted it all on himself. It's like the Dead Sea, someone said. Everything goes into it, and nothing flows out of it. Everything inside it is dead. But it's had so much poured into it, so much... Water has poured down, I've never been to to the Middle East, but from what I understand, and I've seen pictures, I've had friends that have gone there, Jewish friends that have lived there, and they go to the Dead Sea and they lie on top, this is a little thing they do, they lie on top of the, uh, the, the water of the Dead Sea and open up a newspaper because there's so much deadness in it, it's just salt water. And from what I understand, the streams flow in, but they don't flow out. The illustration is if everything just flows into us and we do not have anything flowing out of us, we will be dead like the Dead Sea. Your service for Christ is for Christ. It's not for yourself. But that's not the way Solomon thought and that's not the way he lived. He lived, his investments were for here and for now. He had a full portfolio. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26, now I might have that up there. This is this is where he started to decline. First Kings chapter ten verse twenty six. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and had fourteen hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen. So there would obviously be horses for all of those horsemen, uh, and he sta- uh, he stationed them in the chariot cities with it, uh, with the king of in Jerusalem. Now in the Old Testament, one of the laws that God gave the king: don't collect horses. Don't collect horses. Don't put your, your, your faith and your strength in the strength of your horses. It is the Lord that wins battles. And then the other thing, don't collect women, foreign women. By foreign women, meaning those of other gods. First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, now Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Cid- and Hittite women, uh, from, nations, uh, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them nor shall you sh- they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away after other gods, or their gods rather. Solomon held fast to these in love, held fast to them in love. That's the emphasis of, of, of how deep and how far his decline went. He had 700 wives, princesses, And 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. Sad. I mean, I don't even know how you can live with 700 wives. (laughs) (laughs) I live with one wonderful wife. (laughs) But 700, I mean, no matter how great your wife is, there's 700 of them. 700 lists. (laughs) Oh, sorry, inside voice. Yeah, too much wonderfulness. <laughs> he had a portfolio. Uh, she, could you take that out of the, uh, the podcast part? <laughs> he had a portfolio. He had gold, silver, chariots, horses, wives, and great and remarkable gift. Yet, he turned his heart away from the Lord and turned to other gods. This is the book of an exhausted man, desperate for answers. He, he probes like a humanist, but he finds no answers. He's a man who knows God. He knows him as Lord and he knows him as master, but he's a man that has no convictions. His conscience doesn't speak to him. Rather than living a triumphant life, he just gropes through the years. He feeds his own self-interest and he ignores his conscience. What a contrast between this exhausted man, Koheleth, who lived in self-indulgence and the apostle Paul. And I I do have a verse here, I don't think it's on here, but I just want to read this verse uh, from uh, First Tim- or second Timothy chapter two verses three to ten here 's the apostle Paul, the exact opposite. he left everything for the sake of Christ, left everything to follow Christ, whatever he had, he said he had much as far as his his, his stock in, 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 in life, but he counted it all as rubbish so that he may gain Christ. It says in second Timothy chapter two verse 3. Suffer hardship with me, he's saying to Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. A hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Uh, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen um, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. If I'm going to sell myself, Paul says, it is not going to be for myself. It is not going to be so I can gain. It's to gain others for the kingdom of God. It is to to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Full of hope, full of joy, full of peace because of his bank account? No, because he fought the good fight, he finished the course, he kept the faith, and he will receive the crown of righteousness. Now the theme of the book. Ecclesiastes seems to be kind of a a book that would be written by somebody who's close to the end of their life, reflecting on life experiences and lessons learned. It's a book about philosophy, it's not a philosophy textbook. It speaks about the futility of life, the endless cycle of life. That's if life is without God. You see, if I just look at my life without God, it's an endless cycle. I remember uh, a coworker was in my office, it was late one afternoon, one evening actually, and we were talking and, and he was his brother's a believer. His brother actually, uh, his miracles bookstore over here in Bears Lake. But his, his brother Frank is, is not a believer by any means. And he knows that his, his, his brother and I are, are very much aligned. And he was talking and he says, like, what's it all about? And I said, oh, what a question. Isn't that awesome? And I said, do you think it's all about Frank getting up in the morning, coming into work, selling a few cases, going back home, have a supper, go to bed, so you can get up tomorrow morning, come back into work, sell a few cases, so you can go back home, have supper, go back to bed, so you can go up. I said, isn't that cruel? If that's all that God designed you for, isn't that cruel? But he didn't. There is more to life than that. But you see, the problem here, in this rebellious life that that Solomon led, his testimony would be, regret. I've gotten to the end of my life, and I, all I looked at was this endless cycle of going to work, earning a living, having women, having chariots, having horses, building great things, spending money, and now I'm looking at the end of it, and what have I got behind me? I've got a great big bank account, but I have nothing prepared for here. It's empty. My bank account with God is empty. It's a book of a frustrated man. It's a book of a man filled with regret. The amazing thing about Ecclesiastes is it's never quoted in the New Testament, not one part of it. And I'd like to take a quick look, though, if you don't mind, going to a, a verse in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Because I think it's an allusion to the message of Ecclesiastes. We sometimes talk about these verses when hurricanes and stuff go through. But it says in... Uh, Romans 8 verses 18 to 20, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation, of of the creation, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In the King James, that word futility says vanity or meaningless. It's almost like that's the motto of the book of Ecclesiastes and here we find it right in the middle of the book of Romans. That this whole creation, if your eyes are just on this earth, on the creation, on what you see around you. I mean, I was walking today, I did a nice walk along the trail and I noticed some leaves starting to fall down around me. I thought, oh my goodness, they're falling already. Didn't they just fall? But isn't that the cycle? They fall off the trees. I go out and I rejoice in the spring when they start to come back out. And then they fall off the trees. And it's, if, I, if my eyes are only on that, I just see the futility of, of the cycle in this, in, in, in the, even in the creation around us. But God wants us not to look at that, not to be earthbound, not to be looking at, at just the things of the earth. This is the subject that the preacher is going to probe into here. So why do we study Ecclesiastes? Perhaps you're saying, wow, huh, this book's a downer. I mean, it's not New Testament theology, so why are we studying it? Well, one reason is, I think it has a powerful and penetrating, it's, it is a, a message from a powerful and penetrating mind, examining life under the sun. I, I thank God that Solomon did this, that wrote this down. He said, at the later part of his life, I'm gonna go, I'm, you know what, I have so many regrets, I'm gonna write them down so others will learn from them. 3,000 years later, people in Northbrook Bible Chapel are going to open up these words and they're going to look at it and they're going to see what Solomon wrote down and said, my life was full of regrets. This is what, learn a lesson from my life. That's why we're studying it, so we can learn from this. Look at verse three. He says, what advantage does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? That word under the sun, what does that mean? It means living strictly horizontal with no vertical life. With no look to God, you look, you know, the one thing they say that sets man apart from the animals animals walk around and they look like this, don't they? Where's a meal? Where's a meal? Where's a mouse in the field? Where, where's, the, where's my dog dish? That, that's the way an animal is. But humans have this ability to look up towards their creator. But if we want to live our lives looking around, just around vertical, and miss the blessing of looking up, that's what he's saying. Under the sun, horizontal, looking at things on the earth, never looking up. It's life on earth about the here and now, without a thought or an action into eternity, living in the present moment, as one said, living by the tick of the clock, or paycheck to paycheck. The New Testament, for example, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the preacher that we read here says no man knows what will happen. And who can tell them what will come after him? If you look at life in the here and now, you live a while, you work a while, you hopefully have some time for retirement, and then you die. That's what, that's what the philosophy of the people I work with, that, that's, that's their, their philosophy. Treat yourself well now, stock it all up now, because you don't know how much time. Hopefully you'll have 15 years to enjoy whatever you've put in that nest egg. That's all for here, that's all for now. That's living by the moment. That's not a thought towards eternity. So life examined under the sun is only life lived in a limited way. Life for the moment. A key key to understanding this book also is to understand that there's a sovereign God in heaven. God is sovereign. We need to remind ourselves throughout the study, I can't say anything more than this. Kirk said it all this morning. The wonderful God that we have. He is sovereign over his whole creation. He is sovereign over everything. He rules by an all-wise providence. He's called. It speaks of providence through this book. That's the sovereignty of God. Solomon will tell us in this book how life will appear, that God has no interest in us. So much of life appears to be just random. Righteousness appears to be under the sun, to have no advantage over wickedness. And he'll say this through the book. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's the way life will appear by living by the moment, by the tick of the clock. I want you to turn with me for a moment to Psalm chapter 73. It's probably my favorite Psalm. That and 139 and 121 and a few other ones. But in Psalm 73, the writer is Asaph, he's the choir director. And it says in verse 13, It says, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Why does he say that? Because if you back up a little bit before that, he says, these are the ungodly. They're always at ease. They always increase in riches. And surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. So he's saying, really, what's the use? I look at all these rich guys and what they get to do, and I've got nothing. Nothing but ladies who think they can sing in the choir and they keep coming to me and wanting to sing in our choir. And I, I can't turn them away. His struggle is the same as Solomon. He's looking at life under the sun. He's looking at life here and now. Yeah, there are people around that, that, that seem to the wicked. They both, they live, they work, and they die. So do the righteous. Under the sun, there's no difference. No advantage to anyone righteous or wicked. But, but before we, we get into the study, we want to know that this is not what the Bible teaches, is it? The Bible doesn't teach that there's no difference between the wicked and the righteous. The Bible teaches there is a difference between the wicked and the righteous. The Bible teaches there is life to be had. There is hope to be had, there is joy to be had in this life on this earth. We just don't go through mundane, day-to-day cycle of life stuff and then die. But it appears to Solomon that that's the way life is and he's wrong about that. For the righteous, for the wicked, that's the way it is. But for the righteous, it's different. He tells us for 11, chapter, 11 chapters that there's nothing really important. Life is meaningless, but at the end, the very end in this writing, he tells us that everything is important, everything. Like Paul says, we need to bring every thought into conformity with, the, with Christ. The smallest details of life are important. We will see this when we get to the end of the story. They are not meaningless, as Koheleth says. I want to look at some key phrases. You said that clock is 20 minutes fast? (laughs) (laughs) Keywords and key phrases, under the sun. I already talked about that, that's just life on earth. Another one is vanity or meaningless. It's used 30 uh, 30 passages. um, He'll speak of, of areas of life that seem to have no value and they're utterly meaningless. The word is havel, havel, Hebrew word, meaning empty, futile, or like a vapor. The name Abel probably comes from this, appears for a short time and is gone. Genesis chapter four. It disappears quickly, leaves nothing behind, doesn't satisfy. It's Havel. One commentator said, uh, whatever is left after you break soap bubbles is a good description of what vanity is. Uh, Labor. It's at least 11 different Hebrew words are translated as labor. Oh yeah, I have slides for this. I had a slide for that. Yeah. Look at, look at all the stuff you missed, <laughs> there we go. Labor, uh, the last, at least 11 different Hebrew words translated as labor, uh, and this one is amal, A-M-A-L, used 23 times in Ecclesiastic, it means to toil to the point of exhaustion, yet experience little or no fulfillment of your work. Um, the idea of grief, misery, frustration, and weariness. Moses um, used it in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse seven, and Psalm 90, um, But when viewed under the sun, a person's daily work might seem to be futile and burdensome. But for the believer, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you do for the Lord, whatever you do for the Lord, remember it is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain if you're working for the Lord, if you're doing those things for the Lord to please him. Wisdom is another word that's found. 27 times in 24 verses. Understood as a skill for living. Broadly speaking, it's, it's um, life that benefits man and pleases God. A skill for living. Okay, so now I get to the happy part for you because it says application and conclusion. And I'm sure by now you're saying, oh, this is awesome. 13 weeks of gloom and doom. Hey, um, how dreadful for us life on earth. It's not. Cheer up, because someday you will stop living and you will die. (laughs) I had to do that because there's three people here who would get that. (laughs) This uh, prof that they had at MVBI used to come in and say, it's raining out today, but cheer up. Someday it's going to be snowing. (laughs) So I thought I I would say that. Um, Solomon Admonish us to enjoy life and be satisfied with what God has assigned us to do. This is this is seriously what the what the what the book of Ecclesiastes is, is to bring us around to a conclusion on. In chapter twelve, verses ten and eleven. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right at the top there. Solomon explained uh, how he, he wrote the book, sought out the best words, arranged them in the best order, wrote goads or prods uh, uh, for our thinking, and nails to hang some practical conclusions for us. I really like this verse, uh, verse 11 and 12. It says, the preacher sought to find delightful words to write words of truth correctly. So he's laying out for us the idea of this is, this is the way men can think, but I want to lay out the truth for you. And he does it in, the, in, in chapters 11 and 12. Is the words of wise men are like goads. You know what a goad is, don't you? It's something to prod you along, right? It's so sometimes cattle, they have a cattle prod and they prod them along to go in the right direction. Uh, and master of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given, I like this, by one shepherd, capital S, shepherd, given by one shepherd, It is the shepherd who shepherds the sheep that gives meaning and hope to our lives. So I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this study. Solomon's work was inspired by God because he was guided by one shepherd. So what? What does it mean for us here tonight? Northbrook Bible Chapel 2017. What does Ecclesiastes mean to us? I think it is a message for today. You know, Solomon investigated society a, mil- or a million, <laughs> a millennium uh, before the birth of Christ. But it wasn't really much different from, from today. After all, Solomon says in, in verse 1, he says, that which has been uh, is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. So in other words, nothing's going to change from when he wrote it to today. Solomon saw, and you, I'll give you the, the references for this. Injustice to the poor, chapter four, verses one to three. Crooked politics, verses five to eight. I know we don't have that now. Incompetent leaders, 10, six to seven. Not a problem today, is it? Incompetent leaders in our government. Uh, guilty people allowed to commit more crime. Oh, just by the way, yesterday, o. J. Simpson was set free. Um, materialism. We don't have an issue with materialism. Uh, and uh, that's in uh, chapter five, verse 10. And a desire for the good old days. 7 verse 10. If I hear one more time at work somebody talking about how it used to be and how it was so great back then when they complained back then about how it was better before that. It sounds just like today, doesn't it? Nothing's changed in 3,000 years from the time this was written. So what are the things that I want to tell you that are important? And this is where I really would like to be able to see my stuff. First of all, if you are not a child of God, if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, this book urges you to do so, and without delay. It says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember who God is, remember who you are. The, whole, the, the sum of the whole book is going to be that you are to, 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 to serve God, to please God. That is your whole duty, that is why you were, that's why you were put on this earth. Life without God is futile. Life without God is empty. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You might think, I need more of this. I need more of that. If somebody would look after me, if a rich uncle would leave that to me, if so on and so on, if all of that would happen. But the Bible says that if you have all the gains in the world, if you have everything, Let's take Queen Elizabeth and Bill Gates and Donald Trump and we'll put all the riches together and we're going to just bring them right here to Dartmouth and you can walk away with them in your bank account. It says there is no gain in that if you lose your own soul. What does a profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Solomon experimented with life and discovered that there was no lasting satisfaction in possessions, pleasures, power, or prestige. He had everything and his life was empty. There's no need for us to repeat those experiments. Next, as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've re- and received the gift of eternal life, this book tells you, asks you, are you living for the Lord, or are you living for yourself? You can be a believer, Solomon was. Solomon knew God, but he lived for himself. And his life was full of regrets. If I live my life pleasing only myself, I will have nothing but regret at the end. Solomon knew God and he was blessed by him, but he turned away from the Lord and he went on his own. Now, the other thing is, I'm sorry, Oh, he does t- uh, there are some examples in the, in the New Testament of verses that, that speak to this. As a believer, if you're, are you living for the Lord or for the things of the world? Demas was a man who was a disciple who followed and worked along with Paul. And it says, he has forsaken me, having loved this present world. John, in 1 John, says, love not the world or the things that are in the world. And, and also tells us uh, in James, to keep unspotted from the world. The world is not your friend. The world is not going to benefit you, even if you have everything in it. Life is for the God of heaven. Finally, Ecclesiastes uh, has a message for the believer who is faithful and wants to serve the Lord. You need to face life honestly and look at life from God's perspective. Don't be swept into man's philosophies, keep on track, keep on serving the Lord. Another important thing that you need to learn is that death is coming for all of us. I know we look for the rapture. Hopefully it comes in our lifetime, it may not. And if it doesn't, death is coming. Be prepared. I really wish Frankie McDonald would come to Christ so that he could stop talking about weather and go on and say, death is coming everybody. Be prepared. You know who Frankie McDonald is? Okay, everybody knows who Frankie, the weatherman, right? From Cape Breton. What's that? No, I said I wish he'd get saved so he could go on and tell people the gospel. Be prepared. Death is coming. That's the message of of the book. Perhaps the, and I'll close with one verse. Perhaps this message is best summarized in the prayer of Moses that is found in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Father, thank you this evening. As we look at this book, there is so much that we can learn from it. We are, we are so caught up in a world that is caught up in living under the sun. It's not just the coworkers that we have, it's not just the philosophies that we read on, in, on the internet and, and see on television and read in, in articles. It, it's, it's penetrating even the church. There are so many people Myself included, I must confess, there are many times I look and think, if I just had that for myself, I'd be happy. If I just had one more of these. If I just got another percentage on my pay increase. And we would think that that would make us happy, that that would fulfill us. But Lord, this book clearly teaches us that there is nothing in this world, nothing that comes from this world, that is going to fulfill us, that is outside of the God of heaven and the good hand of Jesus Christ who gives us of all good things. Father, I pray that as we go through this study that you would use it to spur our hearts to draw closer to you, to see you as the one who provides all things, the one who provides joy, who provides um, just the ability to, to endure in this world, and you do provide us with great gifts through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would be satisfied with the things that you give us, that we would not be looking for more, that we would not be looking for another tickle or another thrill, but we would be looking for the one and we would be looking to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And like Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us in these ways as we go through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought, can we, are we okay to sing one song before we go? Uh, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness,